This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the first day of November 2021. Um, Going to start the show this morning on, uh, well, I mean, a, a sad note. I mean, uh, I was absolutely gutted this weekend. It wasn't necessarily unexpected, but uh, Jerry Remy, uh, the uh, beloved color analyst for the Boston Red Sox, former Red Sox second baseman, uh, passed away uh, this this weekend. He passed away uh, Sunday morning or late Saturday night uh, after his fourth round of having to fight lung cancer. It's something that, uh, you know, he uh, battled. It looked like he was cancer-free last year and talked about it earlier this year, and then it, it popped up again this summer, and uh, he had to leave the broadcast as of uh, the first week of August. And then we never heard Jerry's voice again on Red Sox broadcast. He did was there for the, uh, the ALCS and threw out a ceremonial first pitch uh, to his old teammate and broadcast partner, uh, Dennis Eckersley, on the 5th of October. And uh, he was... He had a, a oxygen tube in his uh, in his nose then, and he kind of knew that if that was the case, that uh, it was not it was not good. And uh, so it wasn't completely unexpected, but it was uh, it was ah, you feel like you lost a member of the family, you know, when you've been a Red Sox fan and and uh, for as long as I have, and of course I remember Jerry uh, as a player. Um, he was uh, with the Red Sox in that 1978 one-game playoff game. Never forget that. I skipped a, a history exam. Professor uh, Frank Moriarty's history exam to watch that game. I mean, and, uh, yeah, well, unfortunately for me, the Red Sox lost the game. Man, I got an F on the exam. I still got an A-minus in the class, so it didn't hurt me too badly. But, uh, you know, and Jerry Remy was two for four in that game. Matter of fact, he was on base in that game when Carl Yastrzemski popped up to third base, the third baseman, uh, Greg Nettles, in foul territory to end that game. Um, and I worked, um, I worked at Fenway Park in the press box for five years. I had uh, numerous times to, to talk to Jerry. And it's really strange. I mean, uh, Don Rosillo and I were old uh, – old broadcast partners and uh, old friends know, know, had known each other for quite a while. So I always had a chance to talk to Don whenever I was there. And, um, you know, the 50 games or so I worked every summer and I, Jerry would be there and, and, you know, we'd talk and, uh, but I never really felt like in all the times that I talked to Jerry Remy that I ever really knew the guy. Right. I mean, he was a very private person. He was as humble as they come, by the way, this is, I mean, and you could hear that on the air. He never got to, uh, he was not full of himself, as so many guys are. 
Um, but I never really felt like I knew him. One of the funniest, and it's kind of a you know, it's kind of a off color kind of thing. But one of my my favorite memories of Jerry Remy personally, um, you know, and again, this is just a, you know, while I was at Fenway Park, you know, it seemed like Jerry Remy and I ran into each other in the men's room <laughs> all the time. I, honest to God, it never seemed to fail that uh, like yeah, you know, every every other time I was in there, uh, Jerry would walk in. So one day we're in there together and he looks over at me and he says, we got to stop meeting like this. And it was just so typical, Jerry. He said it with a deadpan look on his face and then winked. And I just, I just burst out laughing. And, but you know, that was, I mean, it's, it's, but it's, again, it's so strange. All the times I talked to him, you never really, I, I can't say that Jerry Reverend was a friend. You know, I talked to him probably, I don't know, three dozen times. But I, you know, it's just he just never because he wasn't he was there. He did his job, and then as soon as the game was over, he got out of dodge. You know, he wasn't somebody to hang around. He loved hanging around with the players. He loved talking baseball. But as far as everybody else kind of went, it was he kind of kept everybody at arm's length, and that's okay. You know, some people are very comfortable with celebrity. Some people are not, and he was one of those that wasn't. Uh, but he had a great sense of humor, and we heard that on the air. And that's the part, I guess, that, that strikes me the most about Jerry, despite the fact that, you know, uh, it's not going to be the same hearing him on the air. It's, it's that he made you feel like he was one of your best friends when he was on the air. Personally, off the air, you know, he was he was a different kind of person. He was very private. But everybody feels like they knew Jerry Remy if you listen to those broadcasts. I mean, didn't you? You know, and the the broadcast that he did for all those years with Don Orsillo, those are absolute gold, in my opinion. That was, uh, I have never heard a pairing from any, and you could say, okay, well, you're a Red Sox fan. There's bias there. I never heard another duo that had the kind of chemistry that Don and Jerry had. It was, as, as Don put it, he, he was interviewed and uh, he had some quotes in the Boston Globe yesterday, and he said, like, you know, that they had a great time. And he said what he always thought was great was he said, when we were on the air, it was like two close best friends talking about baseball. And he said, I hope it came out that way. And he said, I think it did. And it did. There's no question. And as Don said, I still, I still can't believe I'm not going to hear from him anymore. And I can't believe we're not going to hear him on the air anymore. You know, we knew he when he stepped away in August that, you know, but there was hope that he was going to be back in the spring because Jerry has always come back, right? He's, he's had to step away, you know, three or four times for uh, he had some depression issues and, and anxiety issues he was dealing with as well as the cancer. And so he's had to step away from it for a few times, but he always came back. Right. And we always expected that he would. And now the idea that he won't be there anymore is difficult. Uh, and as I said uh, to uh, in a comment this morning to uh, Matt Corey, who's been on our uh, our show several times, who uh, does the Sox Outsider podcast and has a blog as well. You know, it's like I, I feel like with Jerry gone. And with Don gone, I mean, you know, Nesson and the Red Sox ownership took Don away from us. You know, they just ripped him away. 
And now with Jerry gone, I feel like we've lost the soul of Red Sox broadcast. I feel like, and look, Dave O'Brien's fine, and he's a nice guy. You know, I mean, I, you know, again, another one of those guys I talked to a number of times, and he's a, he's a really nice guy. But he's not, he doesn't have the kind of rapport with Red Sox viewership that, that Don and Jerry had and, and that Eck has. You know, he's, he's fine, but he's, eh. You know, he, he's kind of a, and, and I hate to put it like this, but he's kind of a generic broadcaster. Dave is, you know, it's kind of like if you've heard Dave O'Brien, you've heard broadcasters like him everywhere. Don was different. Jerry was different. A lot of it, they were different because together they were a hell of a team. Don has a great rapport going now uh, with Mudcat, uh, Mark Grant out in on Padre broadcast. He, and, and maybe this is to Don's credit, but he and Mudcat have a lot of the same rapport that he had with Jerry Remy. If you haven't had a chance to listen to those guys do Padre broadcast, it will remind you a lot of things that uh, that happened when he was with the Red Sox and with Jerry. I mean, and nobody that is a Red Sox fan didn't hasn't seen at some point, if you, if you didn't watch it live, and I happen to, but if you didn't watch it live, so anybody who hasn't seen the famous pizza incident, when they, it was like an April game and, you know, so it was a foul ball into the stands, beer was flying in, and somebody threw a piece of pizza and hit a guy with it. Which, by the way, a piece of pizza at Fenway Park, you know, it's like a $10 piece of pizza and somebody threw it and hit a guy in the jack. And it was just hysterical. I mean, and Don and Jerry were both dying. And then they, you know, they, they cut to a commercial and they come back. And during the commercial, you could tell they've talked about it more. And then they start breaking it down and analyzing the whole thing when they come back from the commercial, it was just absolute broadcasting gold. And uh, it was part of what made it easy to listen to Red Sox games because this was in April, you know, and these guys had a way of, it didn't matter when, uh, when the game was a way of making the game entertaining, whether it was in, you know, whether it was a pennant race kind of situation or whether you're out of it and it's August, you know, they just found ways to, to make the games entertaining. So the fact that he's not going to be there anymore is is hard. And I love Dennis Eckersley. And Eck has is is a, a unique a personality as they come. And by the way, you know, Eck's kind of a, in, in some ways he's he's kind of like Jerry too. Is is you know Eck's a little bit better in terms of uh, dealing with the public, but he's also kind of a guy that you know does his thing and then doesn't mind just getting out of, out of town. You know, um, and but he's great. You know. And uh, his vocabulary, there's a thing on Twitter, it's called uh, the Actionary, uh, where uh, they will break down things that X says and kind of actually type them out. And when, you, and when they type them out, they're even funnier reading them than they were when he actually said them on the air. Um, and so he's great. And, and, and I hope, you know, and it's up, to, it's up to Eck. I mean, he still lives out on the West Coast, and he comes back and forth. And um, whether Eck will want to do more games or not, but I hope he does. Because I think we, I think as Red Sox fans, and this is selfish, but as Red Sox fans, we we need that personality, you know. And uh, so, uh, again, you know, it's not unexpected, but it hurts. It really does. And uh, uh, for the show this morning, you can't see it here on Facebook if you're watching because I don't have the. We don't need to see the rest of my body, but I have my uh, my Rem Dog T-shirt on. Um, 
they did that in one of the rounds when he had come down with cancer and they, uh, they manufactured these shirts to raise money for cancer research. And, uh, uh, so it's a team rem dog shirt and, uh, it's something that, uh, I don't wear very often. You know, I bought it to support the cause, but I don't, I don't wear t-shirts a lot to be honest with you. Um, but, uh, now with him gone, it's, uh, it's going to be even special, more special for me. So, um, so anyway, uh, Dennis, uh, Dennis, geez, let's not bring, put that out there. Uh, Jerry Remy passes away at the age of 68 and it's been tough for Boston uh, sports fans. We lost Bob Newmeyer last week. Uh, Numi, who was, uh, the channel four anchor sports anchor for so long, uh, start, got his start here in, uh, Hartford, Connecticut with uh, channel three. I mean, so it's a guy that I saw when I was a kid, you know, uh, when I was a kid, you know, I knew he was only 10 years older than I was. And that's, you know, that's the other part of this. I was you know, talking to Barb yesterday. Um, I think what makes it tough with Jerry and, and with Bob Newmeyer, you know, when they pass away is, is Jerry was 68. He was seven years older than I was. Now I know it's cancer, but still, I mean, you know, as we get older, I guess we reflect more. He was only seven years older than I am. Bob Newmeyer, I think, was 70 or 71. I mean, these are people that are almost my contemporaries. And you look at it and you go, Jesus, you know, how much time do I have left? You know, the clock is ticking on all of us, folks. You know, which is, by the way, part of the reason why, you know, Barb and I are moving to North Carolina to have a slower lifestyle and to kind of try to enjoy whatever time it is I have left. And, you know, if it turns out I have another 10 years, well, I would like to enjoy those 10 years. If I have longer than that, uh, you know, great. My wife said only the good die young, so that there's a good chance I'm going to live to be 112. Um, so we'll see. But, uh you know, I mean, uh, that's I think that's what makes it tough. And we also earlier this year, if you remember, we lost Tommy Heinsohn, a Celtic great, former Celtic coach, Celtic uh, color analyst for so long with Mike Gorman on the broadcast. And uh, I mean, a guy uh, who was uh, an ultimate homer, you know, uh, but everybody loved Tommy Heinsohn. So it's been a tough year with with Heinsohn and now now and then Newmeyer and, and now Jerry Remy. Uh, Boston sports fans have uh, have taken a bit of a blow here uh, in the last 12 months. So, uh, you know, uh, great. Uh, and, and by the way, the Remdog name, that was uh, coined by Sean McDonough, former uh, Red Sox broadcaster, uh, who is now uh, doing NHL games for ESPN. But uh, uh, Sean was uh, the guy that, uh, that coined it, and he and Jerry remained great friends through the years. Of course, Sean has been doing some radio stuff for the Red Sox for the last couple of years. And, um, you know, one of the things that that Sean said uh, on social media yesterday, or it might have been in the Globe, I don't remember where I saw it, but, you know, I mean, his father, of course, Will McDonough, former uh, great Boston Globe columnist, and uh, Sean said, say hi to Dad for me. So, uh, anyway, it's uh, going to be a tough year without Jerry Remy coming up, and I'm sure they'll have a great tribute to him. Um you know, when the start of the season comes and, uh, you know, just one of those guys that uh, uh, has been a fabric of, of our lives. I mean, 34 years with the Boston Red Sox. So, uh, all right, keeping uh, uh, with the baseball theme and on a much lighter note, and let's get back to the uh, the, uh, the actual games. The uh, World Series last night, uh, the Astros come back to beat the Braves 9-5. So now we will have a game six, which is great. Uh, because as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, I hope this goes seven. I still hope the Atlanta Braves win. And as I said, it's the first time I've been a, a, 
you know, a National League fan in the World Series for a long, long time because I just can't root for the cheating Houston Astros. And I know I got to get over it, as everybody tells me. But um, so game six, it'll be uh, Tuesday night. And it'll probably be Max Freed on the hill for the Atlanta Braves trying to uh, get it done. Of course, he got he got whacked pretty hard in game two in Houston. So uh, that's going to be tough for him. Uh, we'll have to see who starts for the Astro. Jose Arquiti was supposed to be the game six starter. Uh, but he pitched an inning in relief last night. So Dusty Baker has kind of indicated he may go with Luis Garcia on three days rest. But here's the deal. Uh, if they get behind and Luis Garcia doesn't do well, Jose Arquiti only pitched an inning on Sunday night. He's going to have Monday off. There's no reason why he couldn't turn around and uh, uh, pitch again in game six. And it's going to be all hands on deck because they don't have, they don't have any, uh, you know, uh, any leeway here so it's going to be uh you know johnny allstaff if it has to be but i thought this game i thought the series was over i mean when uh when adam duvall hit that grand slam home run in the first inning i thought it was all over but the shouting you know and then uh unfortunately for uh fans of the uh of the atlanta braves the astros just started chipping away they got a couple in the second couple in the third. Now, all of a sudden, we're tied. And then Freddie Freeman had an absolute bomb in the bottom of the third to put him back up five to four. But then the uh, the bullpen for the Braves started falling down a little bit. A.J. Minter, who had been really, really good, uh, struggled, gave up uh, three runs in the fifth inning. And uh, it was all over from there. The bats kind of went quiet for the Atlanta Braves. And uh, so now we will have game six. And like I said, I am I am all for it. Um, again, I still hope, I still hope the, uh, the Braves find a way, uh, but, uh, Tuesday night, it'll be on Fox, of course. Um, and I believe, I believe it's still an eight o'clock start. I'm fairly certain it is. Uh, but, uh, I'm just glad that we're going to have another game. Um, by the way, uh, this is probably the last world series or the last games period where we are going to see pitchers hit in a baseball game. And I know for one of our longtime listeners, Dave Massey, my old old uh, uh, college buddy, he is going to be very happy about that. But the uh, it is very likely, I think, in a new collective bargaining agreement that there will be a universal DH. I'm pretty sure of it. Uh, so we aren't going to see pitchers hit anymore. And it's interesting uh, if this is indeed the case, if last night was the last game we ever see pitchers hit in, um, how about the fact that a pitcher for the Houston Astros had a pinch hit single last night? Zach Greinke uh, came up as a pinch hitter in the fourth inning and had a single. And in his start the other night, he had a hit in that as well. He's two for three in the World Series. Who says pitchers can't hit? <laughs> but it is very likely that uh, we won't see pitchers hitting again, uh, at least not intentionally, unless it's as a as a pinch hitter because you got nobody left. Uh, we likely will not see pitchers hit ever again in a Major League Baseball game. Uh, it is the end of an era for people that are traditionalists like me. Now, I'm an American League fan, so you should say, well, why the hell do you care? I mean, you have a DH in your league anyway. There's just, I, I, I guess I always liked 
the difference in the leagues, the difference in the you know the, with the pitchers hitting in the National League, and it is the way baseball has been, you know, for 150 years, you know, or, you know, at least in part of the league, right until the DH came in in the 70s. But it's always been something that that's been part of the game. And Dave Massey said the ball found uh, Zach Greinke's bat last night. Well, okay, fair enough. Uh, but it, you know, so but for tradition, for traditionalists, and and I'm certainly one of them, or you know, old pe- or, or just old as you might you might want to say. But uh, you know, it's an end of an era, and you know, the game probably is going to be better for it. You know, especially with modern day fans, they don't want to see pitchers hit. They want to see guys that are actually going to have a chance at the plate. You know, even though, you know, even though you can make the case that with batting averages dropping the way they are these days, it doesn't make any difference anyway. But uh, uh, so anyway, that may have been it last night for uh, pitchers hitting in Major League Baseball. Uh, Before we get to a break, let's we might as well start talking about the Patriots. And uh, (laughs) if you heard my interview with Dan Zampano last week, I said the Patriots had no shot, none, zero, zip. And again, I also said to Dan Zampano, you've probably forgotten more about football than I have, so I hope you're right. And he was. The Patriots uh, with a shocking, and I'm sorry, I say what you want, it was a shocking 27-24 win over the Chargers uh, yesterday afternoon. And in a game, by the way, where this game was won by the defense because um, – Mac Jones was not very good yesterday. He came in, what, like third or fourth in the league. He had completed 70% of his passes. At one point yesterday, I think it was in the second quarter, he was like something for three, like three for 11 or something just awful. I mean, he was like airmailing everybody. So he wasn't very sharp. Uh, but they found a way to win. But the, the defense did its job. Uh, you know, a couple of big interceptions. They put pressure on on Herbert all day, you know, so give him a lot of credit. And whether it was because Bill Belichick took control of the defense or what it was, uh, they did a great job. I thought Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, was out to lunch. You know, everybody talked about how the fact that the Chargers can't stop the run, the Chargers can't stop the run. Every time the Patriots got down in the red zone, they threw the football. I mean, what the hell are they doing? You know, now you look at the stats at the end of the game and you go, well, Patriots ran the ball pretty well. You know, they ran it for 141 yards, but they only ran it for 3.6 yards a pop. The funny part was is the Chargers crushed the Patriots on the ground. They averaged eight yards a carry. You know, and but every time they got close, McDaniels kept calling for passing plays. I, I don't get it. I, I mean, I just don't get it. Uh, but uh, Adrian Phillips with a huge interception when they were trailing in the game, a huge interception, 36-yard or 26-yard pick six, uh, then the two-point conversion to Jacoby Myers. Pat's up seven. Nick Folk has a field goal. They're up ten. Uh, and then uh, the Chargers kind of got a consolation touchdown with uh, 40 seconds left. They just add a little bit of drama to the end, but uh, an onside kick, nobody ever recovers those. And it was kind of fitting that uh, Hunter Henry, the former San Diego Charger, was the guy that, uh, or Los Angeles Charger, I still can't get over that, uh, was the guy that made the recovery on the uh, the onside kick, and, and that was the end of that. And by the way, Nick Folk, who was uh, 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 questionable, <laughs> right? He was questionable before the game. 
uh, was great. Everything right down the middle. Uh, a couple of 48-yard field goals and then the 30-yarder with uh, just over two minutes to play that was the decider. So uh, Dan uh, was right. Of course, it was the only, just about the only game he was right on. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to get to talk to him this week to bust his chops about it, but uh, he had picked the Colts over the Titans. Yeah, no. He had picked the Browns to beat Pittsburgh. Nope, that didn't happen either. Uh, Tampa couldn't beat New Orleans. He had that one. He had Minnesota beating Dallas. But he did get the Patriots right. And I hope he had a lot of money on it. <laughs> and I hope he didn't have a lot of money on the other games because uh, that didn't go so well. But, uh, look, give the Patriots credit. They actually proved that they could beat a quality opponent. And not only did they beat a quality opponent, they beat them on the road. You know, and, you know, when you look at this, the fact that, you know, they lost a game to the Dolphins, how much does that hurt right now, right? I mean, they don't lose that game to the Dolphins. Now now they're 5-3, and three, we're having a completely different conversation. And then they lose the game to Tampa that they hung right in there. They lost the game to the Cowboys in overtime, a game that, frankly, they were lucky it got into overtime. But, again, you look at, 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 at Tampa and Dallas, those were two winnable games. Now, Miami was certainly a winnable game, but it was the first game of the season, so you don't get too wrapped up about it. But when you look at a couple of these other games, and you know the Patriots could just as easily be six and two as they are four and four. But the fact that they're four and four at this point, if you're a Patriot fan, and somebody told you that start of the season you'd be four and four eight games in, you would have signed up for that immediately. And now, the Patriots will go on the road for their next game. They'll be at Carolina this week. Um, Carolina, Sam Darnold, uh, got knocked out of the game this week with a concussion. So the Carolina offense is a bit of a mess as well. Uh, so you have to think that, uh, even though it's on the road, that is a winnable game. Then they go to play a Cleveland team that right now isn't doing much offensively at all. And they have that game at home. Well, you look at that now, and you know, and I would have said a few weeks ago that they're in trouble. Matter of fact, I had that game in the loss column. Now you look at that and you go, hmm, maybe. And then they go back on the road and they play at Atlanta. I mean, realistically, if they, you know, they could be seven and four in three weeks. I can't believe I'm even saying that. And even if they go two and one, you know, they still have a winning record, eleven games in. You know, now you look at the end of their schedule, you know, after that Atlanta game, they have to play Tennessee at home. They have to play Buffalo twice and they have to play at Indianapolis. Those are all going to be tough games. You know, Indy's another one of those teams. I still, you know, another game that Indy kind of gave away this week. Carson Wentz with a big interception in that one. But, um, you know, that's going to be a tough stretch. But then they get to finish up the season the last two games at home with Jacksonville and at Miami and look you know let's say let's say they go 2 and 1 against you know Carolina Cleveland Atlanta let's say they beat Jacksonville and Miami all right so that's 4 and 1 right so that would put them at 8 and 5 you know and if they can sneak a 2 and 2 uh, with the two games with Buffalo Indianapolis and Tennessee now you're looking at a 10 and 7 team now they're now you're talking, you know, perhaps making the playoffs. Matter of fact, likely making the playoffs at ten and seven. 
9-8, and eight, still got a shot. I guess so what I'm saying is the Patriots, with that win yesterday, have given themselves a chance, especially with Carolina next week. You've got to win that game. That's a very winnable game. You go there, you're above 500. You know, it's a completely different look. They have they have flipped the script. They have changed. They have certainly changed my mind. I did not see that coming at all. And again, give the defense all the credit in the world. You know, I mean, obviously the offense had to score the points, uh, but they were one for four in the red zone. They weren't able to finish. I blame a lot of that on McDaniel's with his play calls because I thought they sucked. You know, I really did. This was all about the defense. And you know what? That, you know, one of the hallmarks of all the years with, you know, say what you wanted about how great Tom Brady was, et cetera, et cetera. That defense was always a big part of the Patriots' success. And yeah, okay, they got outgained yesterday. They gave up 369 yards of offense, but you know what? By and large, you know, a lot of that was uh, late garbage time. You know, when the Patriots had a 10-point lead with a minute and a half left, and you know, the Chargers got 72 yards on 10 plays on that last drive. Outside of that, the Chargers the Chargers had been held to under 300 yards of offense except for that last drive when the Patriots had a 10-point lead and they were playing basically, uh, you know, not to give up the big play. They ended up giving up a big play at the end, but they were basically just kind of playing back a little bit, not taking any chances. So there was a lot underneath that the Chargers could, could uh, take advantage of, and they did. So... Even the final numbers uh, that the Chargers had offensively, to me, uh, were a bit misleading. So, hey, great win. Absolutely great win. You'll take it all day long. Uh, And I'm sure Dan Zampano was a very happy man uh, yesterday afternoon. It is 36 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 38 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call on a Monday morning. Uh, So... Another surprising result yesterday was Tampa losing to the Saints. Now, some might say, well, it's not, you know, that necessarily unusual considering the game was in New Orleans and, uh, you know, the Bucks have played pretty well. They were, you know, right probably to, to lose one. Uh, but I think what made this shocking was the way it happened. Jameis Winston gets knocked out of the game with a knee injury. Not only did he get knocked out of the game, there is a very good chance he is done for the season. Uh, he, he indicated that, uh, that he felt something in that knee and uh, couldn't put any weight on it. He, had to, he tried to get up and walk off and had to go back down. Uh, so it does not look good. So the Saints then had to turn to Marcus Semyon, who hadn't taken a snap in anger in a couple of years, uh, except for the time he was with the Jets. He started for the uh, the Denver Broncos for a couple of years. wasn't great, but he came off the bench yesterday after Winston got hurt. And uh, look, he did a great job of managing this game. Uh, it's 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 easy er when you have a guy like Alvin Kamara that you can turn to. But uh, 16 of 29, 159 yards and a touchdown. Did not throw any interceptions. Only got sacked once. And New Orleans won this game because they did the most important thing you can do in a football game. Protect the football. No turnovers for the New Orleans Saints in this game. I mean, you know, you lost. 
your starting quarterback in the second quarter, you know, and uh, your backup does not throw an interception. Nobody put the football on the ground. And the New Orleans Saints committed just two penalties in the entire game for 10 yards. So New Orleans did everything right in this game. Everything. And they built a 23-7 to lead nine minutes into the, the third quarter. I mean, uh, yeah, no, about five minutes into the third quarter, they're up 23-7. Now all of a sudden, then Tom Brady gets going. Uh, a couple of touchdown passes, uh, uh, Giovanni Bernard, Mike Evans. Now it's a two-point game. New Orleans adds a field goal, so they're up five. And then uh, uh, Cyril Grayson catches a 50-yard pass from Tom Brady. They go for two. They miss it. But Tampa's got a 27-26 lead. Despite the fact that they had not played especially well. And, you know, committing penalties everywhere. Tampa had 11 penalties in this game for 99 yards. But Tampa, uh, but Tampa could not do what the Saints did, and that was protect the football. They gave up a fumble. Tom Brady threw two interceptions. He got sacked three times and 11 penalties. And that was the story of the game. The biggest play, of course, uh, with Tampa down by two, Tom Brady's got the football, and, you know, it's kind of like his entire career. He gets the football you know, you're within a field goal and you're giving the ball to Tom Brady with a minute and a half to play. Your first your first thought, if you're a head coach on the other side of the ball, is, oh, crap. We, you know, we've given him way too much time. Well, Brady throws an interception to P.J. Williams, who returns it 40 yards for a touchdown to extend the lead to 36-27, and it's all over. Now, Tom Brady, you know, threw for 375 yards. He threw for four touchdowns, but he also threw two interceptions. And that last one is one that, you know, he just look, you know. Uh, and, you know, Brady's not Brady's not going to, uh, you know, shy away from it. He said, I just threw it to the wrong guy. He said Evans was open. He said, and yeah, I cost us the game. That's about right. You know, but the end of the day, give New Orleans a lot of credit. They put a lot of pressure on Brady, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers helped them out. I mean, uh, uh, you know, immensely. You know, now their defense still played well. The Tampa couldn't run the football at all, which is why Brady had to throw it as much as he did. I think uh, I want to say Tampa ended up with like uh, 58 yards on the ground. Was it, it may not even have been that much. Yeah, 71 yards on the ground. You know, so, you know, they just, they had to throw the football. And, you know, Tom Brady, who usually takes really good care of the ball, didn't, and and Tampa loses. So, look, you know, uh, it just makes the intrigue in the NFC a lot much, uh, a lot much more, much more exciting. Let's just put it that way. So now New Orleans is a half a game behind Tampa. New Orleans has had a bye week. Tampa has not had theirs yet. Uh, As a matter of fact, Tampa has theirs coming up. They have a bye week coming up this week, and then they get to play Washington on the 14th. And the Saints will play Atlanta this week. Atlanta, not a very good football team. So 
after this coming week, New Orleans and Tampa will be in a flat-footed tie for the NFC South. And, uh, you know, whether New Orleans can sustain this in the long run with Semyon as their quarterback remains to be seen. You know, that's, you know, you have to be concerned about that if you are, if you are Tampa. I mean, excuse me, if you're New Orleans, you know. Now, I would have said you needed to be concerned if, because Jameis Winston was your quarterback, but he has proven that to be able to, uh, that he can take care of the football. You know, now, like I said, they're going to beat Atlanta this week. Then they've got a tough one coming up. They have uh, they have to play at Tennessee. They still have to play Buffalo. They still have to play Dallas. They still have to play Tampa again at Tampa December the 19th. So that's going to be huge. But overall, if you look at this Saints schedule, with the exception of the game at Tennessee and then the home games with Buffalo and Dallas and that road game at Tampa, the rest of their schedule is pretty cake. They've got to play at Philly. They've got to play at the Jets. You know, they get the Dolphins. They get Atlanta again. They get Carolina. You know, so this is a pretty easy schedule down the stretch. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Dan Zampano just texted me that uh, Derrick Henry might possibly be out for the year. I had not heard that. I knew he got hurt, but I didn't realize that uh, that he might be out for the year. If that's the case, uh, you know, if Derrick Henry truly is out for the year, that is going to make the games that uh, against Tennessee that anybody has for the rest of the season a, li- a bit more of a crapshoot because that means that Tennessee's going to have to rely on Ryan Tannehill a lot more, and that's you got to be a little bit worried about that, uh, but. You know, anyway, you look at this New Orleans schedule, and maybe the Tennessee game won't be as difficult in a couple of weeks if Derrick Henry truly doesn't play. But, uh, you know, New Orleans might have, well, you know, I I don't want to say they have the inside track because you look at this Tampa schedule, and Tampa's schedule is easier than New Orleans. Seriously, if you look at this Tampa schedule, I was trying to look at games where you could say, well, they're going to lose this game. And really the only two games left on their schedule that I think are games that you have to be worried about if you're a Buck fan is when they play Buffalo at home on December 12th, but it's a home game. And then, as I said, the 19th against New Orleans, but those are both home games. Outside of that, they have Carolina twice. They have the Jets. They have the Giants. They have Atlanta. They have Washington. You know, uh, Tampa might lose just one more game the rest of the season. You know? Uh, now, having said that, the Jets won yesterday, so <laughs> so I don't know I don't know whether that's true or not. But uh, perhaps the most shocking result yesterday, you know, uh, if, in, if you don't count the the, uh, the Patriots score, the most shocking result yesterday had to be that New York Jets game. After watching what Cincinnati did the week before, and all of a sudden Cincinnati was like the darling of of the NFL, and everybody said, oh, nobody's stopping them. Geez, they could end up being the number one seed in the AFC for the playoffs. They go out yesterday and lay an egg and lose to the New York Jets that had exactly one win. Mike White, who came off the bench last week and stunk, 37 for 45, 405 yards. 
three touchdowns. Now he still threw a couple of interceptions, but he outplayed Joe Burrow. And the New York Jets with a win. Absolutely unbelievable. So, uh, so you know, I guess we, I guess my the moral of the story is, uh, you never know, you never know. But uh, Mike White with a big touchdown pass to uh, Tyler Croft uh, with 3:45 to go in the game, and they come back to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, despite the fact the Bengals didn't play that great, they still had an 11 point lead in this game with seven and a half minutes to play, and they couldn't hold it. So now, you know, you're left with. Uh, will the real Cincinnati Bengals please stand up? Or is this back to being the Bengals that, you know, can't get out of their own way half the time? And, of course, what that, that loss now uh, puts the Baltimore Ravens back in command of the AFC North. Pittsburgh, with the win yesterday, uh, have has, has put themselves right in the middle of things. But uh, now you just don't know what the Bengals are anymore. You know, and... Uh, I guess, you know, maybe their win the week before is goes under the category of a blind squirrel finding a nut. It's 49 minutes past the hour. One more break. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 51 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. So a couple of surprising performances yesterday, uh, but perhaps none more surprising than what Cooper Rush did for the Dallas Cowboys last night. Uh, they made the decision to hold out Dak Prescott. He's dealing with a, uh, a strained calf, you know, and after what, you know, they, they after missing him with that uh, broken ankle last year, they're going to be very careful with him. Uh, he had the bye week, so they said, well, you know, let's just, let's just hold it out. And, and so it, it, you almost kind of felt like, you know, with this game being on the road, and then making that decision against this Minnesota team, you almost kind of felt like maybe Dallas was, you know, I don't want to say conceding, um, but, uh, you know, you kind of felt like, well, you know, they're, tr- they're playing the long game, which is a smart thing if you're the Cowboys, by the way. Um, you know, they had the bye week, and uh, they could give Prescott one more week to get better, and then maybe he comes. And, and, you know, the thing is, you look at this, they, they end up losing to the Vikings is what I'm trying to say, 20-16. to 16. But if you look at it now, if they decide they want to rest Dak Prescott for another week or two to make sure that calf is better, with what Cooper Rush did last night, and you look at this Dallas schedule and you say, you know what? They could rest him for two more weeks before you got to worry about it. They have Denver at home this coming Sunday. And then they have Atlanta at home the following Sunday. So they've got two straight home games against two poor opponents the next two weeks. So they they could theoretically give Prescott two more weeks of rest and then he can come back to play at Kansas City on November 21st, uh, you know, much, much closer to being healthy. You know, of course, he hurt the calf on that final play against the Patriots in overtime. Um, and... Uh, uh, you know, but now what Cooper Cooper Rush was was great yesterday. I mean, a guy showed a lot of poise. You know, he's been in the league for several years. Um, I think five years now. He was undrafted out of Central Michigan, a guy that you know nobody really thought much of. Uh, what poise he had yesterday? How about throwing for what three hundred and twenty-five yards, 
24 of 40, couple of touchdowns, one interception. Um, and the last one was just, I mean, 51 seconds left. Just laid out a beautiful uh, pass to Amari Cooper in the end zone to give Dallas the victory. Um, and he has become a cult legend now in Dallas. You know, how everything in Dallas, they, they everything is bigger, so they're going to turn him into something bigger than he actually is. But uh, he, But the interesting thing is he became the first player to pass for 300 yards and win in his first start on the road since, guess who? Gary Hogaboom, another Dallas Cowboy who did it in 1984. And, by the way, Gary Hogaboom also went to Central Michigan. How about that? So two Central Michigan guys. But anyway, they now have, you know, a little leeway. Who doesn't have a lot of leeway? Cleveland Browns. Tough loss. Uh, look, they get Baker Mayfield back. Baker Mayfield wasn't the problem yesterday. Mayfield was okay. You know, didn't throw any touchdowns. Got sacked four times, and every time he went down with that uh, uh, that injured shoulder, you worried. But he was playing with uh, kind of a brace on there, a stabilizer. Threw for 225 yards, no picks, no interceptions, uh, no touchdowns either. Uh, but this was all about the defense. The Pittsburgh Steelers' defense was great. Um, the vaunted Cleveland run game wasn't able to do a lot. Nick Chubb back in the lineup, averaged under four yards a carry. Uh, ben Roethlisberger took care of the football, threw for 266 yards. You know, they ran the ball pretty well, and the Pittsburgh Steelers escape with a 15-10 to win at Cleveland. And now the Cleveland Browns, you know, again, a team that everybody was excited about, and, you know, that's Dan Zampano's Cleveland Browns, as I like to call them. You know, you look at the standings now, and the Cleveland Browns find themselves uh, in trouble. You know, I mean, that's a that's a very very tough division, and they are sitting at four and four in last place in that division. Now, you know, you, they're they're a game and a half out of first place, so anything can change. But if you're the Browns, you've got to be a little bit concerned about what's going on with this offense. And look, they had guys. You know, Odell Beckham Jr. was back last night. Uh, you know. Uh, Jarvis Landry was in, you know, was back. Nick Chubb was back, you know. So you thought that this team was going to be able to score points last night. Now they play at Cincinnati this coming week. Again, we'll find out what they're all about. But then they have to play at New England. They still have to play at Baltimore. They have to play Baltimore twice. How about that? They have Baltimore on the 28th of November. Then they have a bye week. And then they have Baltimore again. Ouch. Uh, they still have a game with the Raiders. They have to play Green Bay. They have to play at Pittsburgh. Cleveland's in trouble. If they can't get this offense figured out, this Cleveland team isn't making the playoffs. And that's a real possibility right now. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. I hope you all have a great Monday. Uh, don't forget, it's a short week for us. I'm heading for North Carolina on Wednesday. Uh, but uh, we'll be here tomorrow. Hope you have a great day. we we'll leave you this morning some music from Kenny Rogers, a little coward of the county. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.